You're listening to Oblivion. It is March 20th, 2023. And so it happens also to be the 20th anniversary of the beginning of the Iraq War. So a momentous day in history. Before well, it's a, it's a testament to the uh, manufactured cultural amnesia that uh, I didn't, uh, one, on my own, recall the uh, the date and then when you actually mentioned it uh my the, the text that you sent was you know 20th anniversary uh which i read as a separate text from the uh, other ones that you had sent and so i thought you know oh well happy 20th anniversary to you uh, and your wife <laughs> so um Right. I mean, it's, I guess it's a testament uh, that uh, the mainstream news, f- for sure, um, well, didn't talk about I mean, it at I, all. I do agree. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More and than... in point of fact, uh, one of the things um, that I was uh, thinking about in the lead up to the show is there hasn't been a peep uh, about the Iraq War, this being the 20th anniversary of the start of the Iraq War. Uh, from from the media, but to the extent that uh, I mean, I, I regularly watch the news, and of course, uh, the internet feed, um, Yahoo, and and Google, and getting things from the Associated Press and Reuters and uh, Wall Street Journal, and then there are the local publications that uh, publish about things that, in one way or another, the computer knows that. Uh, these are topics that I read uh, regularly, and so it is always uh, making sure that I get the local feeds on these particular topics, but definitely ignored. And it's also difficult not to make the connection to the escalation of the war in Ukraine, right? The Russian war against uh, U- Ukraine, and how um, is it just... Uh, being a, a wacko extremist to like make the comparison of how could really uh, criticize uh, talk about how horrible uh, Putin and and Russia uh, are when didn't we basically do the same thing? I mean, the only difference being is that if you did want to play uh, devil's advocate and say, well, um, let's look at it and see. Is there any reason that you know Russia might want to do this? Russia can always say they uh, that Ukraine is a border country, right? And so their boundaries. Of course, I don't believe any of this. I think that you know Putin is a psycho, but I think that the Americans are psycho, right? And why can't you say that? Like, how could you say that Bush wasn't a psycho? Cheney wasn't a psycho. Rumsfeld, that butcher wasn't a psycho all these people lied joe biden facilitated the hearings where i don't think any witnesses were allowed um to say that we shouldn't do this like you could only testify if you were going to say that they, this, those weapons of mass destruction are there there's the famous image of colin powell you may remember where he holds something up it looks like a vial and mm-hmm. this is going to kill all of us and yeah it was this. it was anthrax <laughs> That was what he was claiming that was in the, it was like they had a... Talk about terrorism. I mean, who was it that was terrorizing us? It was our own freaking government, right? It was our own, like the Mm -hmm. cover of that Time magazine written by that, um, is it Zakaria? Yeah. Like for for Paris Zakaria uh with the child and the gun. Yeah. Just a a quick description of that for the listener. Um, uh, This was part of, um, thanks to Adam Johnson of... um, uh, uh, citations needed podcast uh, he he tweeted <laughs> that image and um, it was an actual cover to Newsweek on the September uh, 28th uh, so it's a 20, Newsweek not a time yeah Newsweek cover and uh, you know tw- that. yeah 20 um, you know um, right after 9-11 and it was like uh, why do they hate us was the title <laughs> Of the uh, um, talk about Ronald Reagan dumbing down. Like, wow, <laughs> this sounds like a really thoughtful essay, right? Like, it just talk to telling. This is why propaganda is effective, right? It tells people 
what they want to hear. Okay, here, I'm, know, look, I'm looking at it right now. Newsweek, why they hate us, the roots of Islamic rage and what we can do about it by Zareed Zakaria. And the image is of a, a little kid, probably, I don't know, three or four, with a t- white turban on and <laughs> holding a plastic toy AK-47 in, in, up in the <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah this is uh so th- you know this is the wonderful atmosphere that uh, came out of uh the events of 9-11 and uh, just extreme racism and uh, dehumanization just went through the roof right off the bat so of course that just you know of course we had to beat down afghanistan and instead of of doing what we should have done which is just a police action and gone in there and you know taking care of you know uh, whatever needed to be taken care of of course uh with a <clears throat> you know capturing him or uh if we could you know that should have been the you know you're talking about Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein <clears throat> even though <clears throat> it's questionable to what degree he had anything to do with 9-11 other than condoning it you know it was it was uh I mean, it was. It's well known that it, and there's no. Um, uh, it was in Germany where it was actually plotted, and <laughs> uh, you know. And oh, right. So if we're talking about the attacks of September 11th, yeah, right. that's Osama bin Laden. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I was go- quickly going through the history. So we had Afghanistan, but then you know we still had this war on terror, hardcore thing go on, and then they just were like, "Well, we're going to take care of the only other." power that's still in the area that's any threat to our hegemony and uh you know they had plans far before uh of course we had been um you know at at war since the gulf war with them that was never stopped the worst sanctions in history were inflicted upon iraq for 10 years and uh killed probably a million people or more uh, just from the uh, deprivations uh, of those sanctions, so they were already uh, pummeled down to nothing, and were <clears throat> and uh, looked at as uh, less than uh, the people of Iraq, as less than the lowest uh, insect, right? So we could just right. smash them. And uh, I was just thinking of the image of like a swarm of, of insects, like <laughs> right, yeah, so, killer bees. Yeah, the locust, or... the locust swarm. We've got to right. we got to spray them. Uh, you know, conjuring in the, you know, uh, twisted exotic lands of of the sand. Yeah. (laughs) And the the neocons had had these plans, uh, for Iraq for quite a while. So it was easy to, and then they, of course, cynically used 9-11, you know, uh, I remember quite clearly the constant illusion that Iraq, you know, that Samuzayn, um, um, some oh shit. <laughs> that Iraq guy leader, uh, <laughs> Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein. Um, yeah, I got it. Um, <laughs> Saddam Hussein, uh, you know, was basically uh, part of the plot in 9 11. You know, this was constantly suggested, alluded to, um, Right. And, uh, you know, basically he was equivalent uh, to them and that he was a terrorist and that we, you know, and I heard this from people is, I knew in my family who, who you know, took this to heart as being the truth, you know, because the American public is radiated with this, with this outrageous lie, right? Um, and right, that, but just let me jump in and say real fast, it's the lie that they want to hear, right? That's why it's effective, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you know laid down the it still wasn't a popular thing it even in congress it wasn't like a the afghanistan thing where it was like one person in the whole congress was <laughs> voted against it uh there were some, some the na- woman from california some na- yeah the woman from california and the nay na- votes uh there were a few nay votes um uh for sure. quite a few for the iraq war uh <clears throat> but um you know they just uh we started two wars. Like what? Yeah. What else is there to say? And then, they, but and look at what Bush's popularity rating was. Like it was a definitely uh, America was totally just getting off on it, and it's, it was the pinup, um, uh, just uh, angst and and anger and this total lack of introspection, right? Of of the well, typical I... American, the American culture post World War Two. 
mid 20th century of like, okay, you, you do this and this and this, and now you have money and like all of these other things of it, the totality of being a human being, a uh, person doesn't deal with at all, which is that they're alive and have all these feelings and many of them are strong and powerful and all of this angst builds up and there needs to be some way to uh, lash out and express oneself plus the violence right i think america is just um, obviously a hardcore violent culture in many ways it's like a lot of bullying and bad vibes uh difficult to you know interact with and um, but then the mentality when it comes to war is, um, and especially at that time, I remember, you know, vividly the millennium and I just turned 30 when all of this started happening it was like, wow, you know, so much for this aspiration of a, you know, a future of peace, right? Like this is definitely going to ruin this, like for, for our lives anyway and certainly it's it's set things in motion for just this out of control um raging military machine that accomplishes nothing right and you think, think mission accomplished well all this accomplished nothing it's just millions of dead people cities destroyed um i always think of mosul the you know, once beautiful, like a city that you could never possibly recreate, like thousands of years old. We talk about multiculturalism and, and uh, Mosul has um, temples and mosques and, and uh, churches and like all those religions were there. The way we stigmatize Iraq, you know, it's like this whole part of the world is just nothing but a bunch of subhuman um, animals, right? And yeah. they're all, because they don't know how to read, right, that jerk off American fixation on literacy, which people really don't know anything about, don't know what they're talking about when they're talking about literacy. Think about all the, the neoliberals on MSNBC where they do all their blah, blah, blah shows and they have all the books in the background. Like, because of all these books that are behind me, I'm smart, right? Like the books radiate the, and now I am the knowing, and here is your liberal mantra. They recycle that just like the conservatives and the psychos on the right have their uh, talking points and so you know uh, nobody's right when everybody's wrong yeah. and what a disastrous time in, in america but i'm so let's, glad that you pointed it out yeah uh, for this week yeah so let's ahead. talk let's talk about um, some of the things we did to them once we got in there after the the, yes. the lies that uh, occurred um and and basically, there was uh, the people of uh, the the elite rulers, which included our current president. Uh, you know, they they knew very well uh, that the the case was thin at best, and uh, you know they knew that it was bullshit. Uh, the reasons they were giving to invade it, and you know they, uh, in, including the president, uh, he was one of the biggest <laughs> advocates before and after the uh, Iraq War. Um, for it, and uh, in my mind, is a, a war criminal. But uh, but as far as what we did then, well, you know, we went in uh, pretty pretty hardcore bombing to start with to soften everything up, um, and uh, and went in there just pretty easily uh, got in. But it, it didn't take long for things to the insurgency to start building up and the resent you know resentment because uh, abuses were occurring all this time early on when we had to lock down and it was you know half million troops in there or whatever it was um uh, the um, the willing uh, <laughs> the uh that was the phrase the something of the willing do you remember coalition that? coalition of the willing yeah right and um you know the coalition of willing All of our was brave there was, NATO allies. yeah so uh the insurgency started happening and um you know wh when it was really saw as uh going to be really bad uh was the first big kind of the me lie massacre sort of of Iraq which was Fallujah which uh you know basically it started with um you know a black um um a, my brain really is not working very well today. Um, Dave, I think your brain is working just fine. <laughs> yeah, but There's it's a not, lot to think about. Yeah, right, these, no uh, shit. Uh, so but I'm, it's, Black Hawk is what's coming to mind, but it was the security company that... Uh, oh, I know uh, what you mean. Uh, 
black stone no um shit anyway uh black water black water yeah there you go thank you uh so black water was some of their um uh, semi-militia security people uh were discovered in fallujah and they were killed and like you know hung up and burned or or whatnot and uh, that's when the the U.S. had already been doing all kinds of atrocities there and in many other places. But in Fallujah, you know, the Sunni area, uh, uh, that was uh, really uh, a lot of resistance there. And so it was just basically scorched earth. You know, it went in and just snipered anything to move uh, women, children, uh, you know, bombed the shit out of it. And that's how it kind of lingered for a little bit. So they decided just to scorch earth, you know, just shell and bomb the shit out of it. And that's how it was finally pacified. But, you know, there were many thousands of people killed. Um, uh, again, just um, indiscriminate, um, you know, just uh, worthless insect uh, terrorists. So who cares, right? Uh, <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that that was the, kind of the peak of that. And, of course, it was just ongoing grinding of roadside bombs. Now, this is another element I just heard uh, in the coverage of it uh, uh, that, the you know, there's been at least well, – this was actually um, a guest on Ralph Nader's show on the 20th anniversary this week. Uh, uh, recommend the listener listen to that, uh, Ralph, Ralph Nader – radio hour uh was that um and you knew somebody like this that there was at least a quarter million um concussion um from bomb blast uh victims soldiers uh from iraq that are in the united states now that are um, disabled from you know having their brains scrambled by (laughs) roadside bombs etc you know uh you have that element so (laughs) <laughs> wonder like what are human beings doing when they find themselves doing this and, and how does a human not have the awareness to think like why are we doing this and how did we get ourselves yeah well I, it's a really and the people that were um actually this was i think a soldier that was on the ralph Na- ralph nader radio hour that was an actual iraq war soldier so uh uh, he so- he came to the realization, and many others did too. I mean, uh, and you know, on top of, but see, those people don't matter, David. I mean, it's it's right. it, it, it's the corporations that make the weapons, uh, right? The, and, and if I could just jump in, another another line you hear a lot is, "Oh, it would have been even worse if we hadn't got in there." Right, right. Bet, f- might as well fight them, fight them uh, there, or we'll have to fight them here. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. We don't want another 9/11. Suddenly the, but you can the the bar is just so uh, low. Like, well, uh, another major city didn't get blown up, right? <laughs> in our with our with our great national defense. Uh, yeah, we. And, I mean, while we're at it, we sm- we smart bombed them, so it was all done real smart, you know. I guess even though it's not necessarily the same the same date, but since it it has been brought up, I do think we got to talk a little bit about uh, September 11th, uh, 2001, because just to cut through all of the uh, arguments and certainly ones that would be considered conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. I think you just have to look at the undeniable fact that it happened, right? Mm-hmm. And and it is just incredible and and horrible that um that something like that happened and it just shows the uh i think the the forlornness of uh peace and security through uh this uh endless military uh buildup right and and through uh preparing for war i mean uh, einstein said you cannot simultaneously prevent and prepare for war and and so um, just not even going into like who knew what and how could this have actually happened. The, the defense that we had, the United States uh, could not do anything and did not do anything to stop the attack from happening. That's correct, isn't it? Like you can't deny what I just said, right? Yeah. And um, right. Which. You can interpret all, all the ways which you can in the last 20 years about what a waste <laughs> all of this 
military spending is like and of course not because what i just said about justifying iraq is exactly what biden recently said about ukraine which is uh well the, well, the cost of it the, the cost of nothing even more right just uh, <laughs> the same thing that he was saying 20 years ago that all of them said you know and, and then we, we've got to think about that's right, the Obama gun, right? And he, he's the one who escalated Afghanistan when a big part of his presidency was that he didn't vote for the Iraq war. Hillary Clinton did. Of course, Clinton was the choice over Bernie Sanders. We don't want that. The war's still going on. We want the person that voted for the war now that's clearly the Democrats going to the right, right? Uh, which the Obama gun facilitated from inside uh the white house and so uh i mean all these people have just been collaborators on war 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 and unless i've been missing something there hasn't been any kind of buildup of an anti-war movement or dialogue not one that is pervasive and again you can see it in the way that the ukraine war is covered where it is a rah-rah show. We're doing the right thing. Yeah, the I, th last I thing think anybody... a lesson was learned from the Iraq War was that it was just too big in scale, right? It, it was too out in the open, um, too many people coming home, you know, scramble brain. So you had to have <laughs> smaller actions, have actions that are proxies, um, you know, those things are much better. So, and of course, uh, this is totally a proxy war <laughs> with Ukraine. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, uh, it's much the easier optics. to, yeah. Is that so, the word for Iraq? Optics? Um, I, the, optics, you mean, for, yeah, right. Let's uh, have optics. The optics you were mean out in the open. The optics were bad. It was, you know, yeah, yeah. It the, just kept getting worse. <laughs> remember, remember, uh, freaking, uh, ISIS. Yeah, yeah. An, an, another 100 percent U.S. created problem. Uh, if we, right. had, we <laughs> if we hadn't like, have invaded oh Iraq, like, ISIS would not have occurred, you know, full stop. And uh, and of course, uh, we developed oh, it in Syria as well. I've heard from Americans. You'll love this one. Like once we invaded, that's we might that might have been our, our mistake. But then everything else that happened, that was. The, the mistake of the insurgents, right? Right, right. So when these people defended, like, their own country, all the violence that ensued after that was um, was their fault. But if you look at it parallel to the Ukraine war, we're not, we wouldn't say that about the Ukrainians, right? Mm. Like, why don't they just surrender and let the invading force, right? Of course, from Russia's perspective, Russia's good and Russia's right. So if you look at it from their perspective, them going into Ukraine is a way of standing up to this. What, what they are arguing is a fascist uh, presence right on their border step, right on their doorstep, right? That is expanding toward their border. And that's called NATO. And they see America, their argument goes, as using NATO as a way to push into uh, Putin's space. And they're going to mobilize and invade Russia. Now, it's kind of like if you think that the whole point of the Iraq war was just to, you know, kick their ass and to, like, flex American muscle. And, and uh, I do think it was a vendetta just against Saddam Hussein, right? Yeah. And that he got out of control when he invaded Kuwait. And that was the Persian Gulf War which in the beginning looked like it was going to be like the consummate, neat and tidy, uh, get in, get out American war, like the space shuttle mm -hmm. war, mm -hmm. right? Just right. reusable. We can do this efficiently. And, uh, and of course, it's just also uh, driven by uh, a bloodthirsty egomania of win, 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 mm -hmm. because Vietnam had been defeat. Now we get at, now we get Af Afghanistan, uh, for 20 years, and then that's a complete uh, disaster, and that really hasn't been talked about. And uh, now that we're at the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War, uh, that's by and large <clears throat> uh, ignored, and to emphasize those details, to, to actually uh, contemplate 
contemplate. It shows you just uh, uh, how horrible it is and, and what a sad mark for our generation uh, to leave. Although, I mean, our game isn't done. We still have time to uh, maybe we can do something besides be apathetic mm-hmm. or right wing nut job. But yeah. Yeah. So um, let's bring it back home and let me um, tell a little story um, that, uh, yeah, this this last week I um, did um, grand jury duty. Uh, I won't go into any much detail because of the uh, secrecy uh, around it, uh, but I'll give some general points. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I was, of course, uh, um, all my fears were... Um, uh, you know, I w- I'm an alternate juror, and so I've filled in uh, this last uh, week. And um, so I was like, well, you know, I expect uh, drug war uh, indictments. And, uh, you know, I, for the, those that don't know, the grand jury is basically a group of 12 people who uh, they have to get nine out of 12 of them to agree to indict. And you, know, you have witnesses uh, that uh, come forward, and it's either the cops or um, somebody else. Uh, sometimes it can be informants or um, social workers, that sort of thing. Uh, or it can be individuals have had a crime uh, happen to them, so uh, that happens sometimes too. Uh, and so I was expecting that, and I was anticipating that I would have to vote no because I would, you know, I'm just totally against the drug war and. I'm uh, not going to be a party uh, to ruining people's lives, and uh, and what really disgusted me. And the next, uh, the night afterwards, I woke up in the middle of the night and was just angry and upset, and couldn't get back to sleep. You know, uh, you know, from the experience, it was was the you know disgusting zeal uh, that these people had to ruin people's lives. You know. Uh, so I mean, there, let's uh, just some basic outlines. This one case uh, was a drug case, and something else that was confirmed uh, recently: uh, Hamilton Morris, the uh, psychedelic uh, enthusiast and, and chemist, um, had mentioned in one of his podcasts that basically the Fourth Amendment was over, and how it was over was that cops just use ice melt uh, uh, marijuana as a pretext to search, right? And sure enough, this one case of these these people that, uh, you know, uh, uh, that had been in the system, of course, long time, they both had long rap sheets. Uh, some agent of the state, I can't remember which, um, I wish I had uh, asked more questions about it, but uh, part of you wants to get out of there as quick as possible. Uh, but anyway, it was uh, some official smelled marijuana, and that was the pretext to come back and search uh, this home. <laughs> and, uh, of course, there were a bunch of drugs there. <clears throat> so somebody else back in the system, their life has already been you know, ruined and part of a revolving door of back and forth and in and out, you know. I'm not sure what... Uh, what they have to do to—I think they have to get so blatant and, and step on too many feet, or you know, piss too many cops off, or somebody. You know, I'm not really sure what happens to to get you back under their you know hoof. Uh, but they qualified, and uh, they were indicted. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, the, I was the only no vote, you know, <laughs> on all these things. So it's just—I uh, felt. Um, uh, just uh, an alien planet, and the the zeal, you know, to and you know, there was this other. Yeah, but case. I mean, thank, thank God you were there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank God I was there to uh, to. We need have, a person like ourselves, man. Well, I, yeah, I agree, but uh, it didn't seem like there was any possibility that I was going to influence anybody otherwise, right? Um, uh, so right. I mean, so to that extent, um, sure, I would prove my my point about like Americans that if, they are kind of hardcore right wing, like none of them would be open to, Hmm. You know, I can kind of see his point. Yeah. Like, to actually think about what things like and, justice. And even though I liked what, her, the prosecutor was, um, uh, likable enough and didn't, you know, wasn't, didn't come across as an asshole or, or anything, but still, I mean, basically prosecutors are cops. And, uh, I mean, she's, 
totally into indicting people. And um, it was interesting. She did make one comment that uh, and kind of general comment with the foreman who um, I guess I hadn't been there when he became a foreman, but he, he kind of seemed like an ex-cop or something, you know, something like that. So, of course, that's why he would get the foreman job. But so she was chit-chatting with him about other drug cases and talk, mentioning that the Mercer County st- still won't indict uh, people for marijuana, she said. You know, this is the Cornbread Mafia uh, Center, Marion County. <clears throat> and uh, so at least, at least there are areas like in, in Marion County where they're not going to indict you for a marijuana charge. So that that was good to hear that there are some <laughs> grand juries that don't totally go along with the drug war. But uh, I'm not going to say it for my county. Uh, yeah, so along your point, yeah, definitely, um, uh, you know, gave me PTSD. And then, but it was positive in the sense that I was able to get perspective on past, um, you know, my past lifelong encounters with this type of person in rural Kentucky. Um, now, I'm not going to say, um, you know, part of me was like shitting on how ignorant everybody was. And I thought, you know, that they were uh, middle school level of intellect, um, which, you know, uh, <laughs> those kind well, of things were coming that, across my mind. Yeah, you know, I think it's true. But then again, um, um, I wrote this in a letter to to dad was was, you know, I'm sure that um, up near Harvard, uh, some faculty members on a grand jury would just be as bloodthirsty uh, towards drug defendants. Um, You know, I just don't I don't think so. You know, I think that uh, to your point, there's such a deep level of um, and I would even theorize it comes from. Uh, you know, the Native American genocide slash slavery, uh, this uh, hardcore, vicious. Um, <clears throat> you have to keep treating people that way, because if you stop, then you'll actually think about what you've been doing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, concomitant with uh, that story, I've been reading the first time I ever read this was um, Frederick Douglass's um Life and Times of Frederick Douglass' autobiography, uh, which is just fascinating. Um, you know, I really, you know, heard a lot about him, but never um, heard his story to any detail. And, you know, of course, it's just, uh, uh, he was in slavery, of course, from till he was in his, I think it's late 20s or something like that. Um, and the stories are just incredible, the abuse. Um, but um, d- just his... Uh, insights and into uh the slave culture how that like for instance she he had a a very kind um master uh the the wife of the master's son uh, who he was um, oddly sent over to be playmates with the white kid uh you know so that was okay but then um you know he Notice at first she wasn't inculcated into the culture, right? And so she started to like um, teach him uh, to read and taught him his letters, ABCs, and started to teach him to read. And she was kind of proud of it and mentioned it to her husband. And the husband like shut her down. <laughs> it was like, this is like illegal and wrong for you to do that. You can't be teaching, uh, you know, these kids to read. And so then it transformed this kind woman who was he still claims throughout her life was still at heart this this kind good woman but that this the whole uh, oppressive atmosphere um you know basically diminishes everybody uh you know master and slave you know it's just a, a anti-human situation and no matter how nice you are it just turns you into a you know a devil uh, and i and it made me think um along with my encounter with the viciousness of uh, of the grand jury um, and you know, fellow citizens uh, that I, I believe that there's a real strain that there's a, a line from that culture uh, of the of those times to to today and um, we've we've and <clears throat> as later in his book he was talking about how that you know uh, after of the slaves were free, you know, there were a lot of them that were already, um, you know, like we just, uh, it's over now. There's no more to do here. Uh, close up shop, uh, you know, across the 
political spectrum in those times, right after the Civil War. Um, but he, you know, as a true radical and a, a decent human, uh, you know, he was totally against that and saw that there were, liberty was still not, <laughs> uh, you know, um, at hand, and the fight still keeps going. And and I'm afraid it's still a long ways to go uh, from from all I've been seeing, you know. Uh, and it also made me think a lot about to just kind of reflect on growing up, uh, of being a sensitive person. You know, I kind of identified with the nice woman. Uh, you know, you would. I would hope that if I was in a similar situation, well, I just—it's not a matter of hope. I know myself, so I know of, of a, you know, uh, a a kind and sensitive person that was uh, from early on had a very was just too sensitive to uh, the kind of um, oppressive atmosphere that was constantly pelted on you in the culture, right? As soon as you got to school, you know, uh, quickly started getting beatings from the mean teachers and the general atmosphere was, you know, one of, uh, fear, uh, control, um, uh, you know, and of course it varied and there were the nice teachers, you know, that I remembered fondly did well with and, and performed well with and, uh, uh, the teachers that would beat you for not getting your work done or <laughs> and remember um, you know corporal punishment was still a thing in Kentucky uh, and uh, used quite liberally up, up until the early 90s uh, you know there's still oppressive methods but at least they don't beat you anymore um, so yeah the, all these things were triggered uh, from that experience this week and wow yeah you're you're right though um, I hadn't thought thought about that I remember in, in middle school, like it usually happened to the uh, male students. In fact, I think it always happened to the male students. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying it hasn't happened to female students. I'm sure right. it has, but uh, yeah, why not. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. So uh, let's move on from that depressing thing. That's partially good news here in Kentucky. Uh, uh, the medical looks like the medical marijuana bill will will pass and be signed um now <clears throat> now for the bad part it's a, of course a totally lame <laughs> uh uh barely right, a quarter b- barely a quarter measure as far as what is at offer here uh for one thing there's no personal cultivation uh and the only it's thing available are edibles uh no smoke not even there's not even the vape thing right which is the kind of what like Florida did with their medical started their thing medical uh, thing off was these vape pens, which are you know pretty pretty good. They got you high shit, uh, but they didn't have any leaf. And since then they've gotten leaf. But uh, old Kentucky, where is this? Who has? Uh, that was Florida. You know they okay. they started their medical at least ten years ago uh, with these um, what do you call them cartridges? The uh, yeah carts uh, the vape cartridges <clears throat> and um so that's not even available that's not going to be available it's just just edibles right so uh and you gotta have a prescription from a doctor and you know uh and, and that's all you can get from this prescription is this bullshit so it's just the thinnest weakest gruel you could uh possibly get to and um yeah we'll see if it advances any more I mean, maybe at some point that they'll, these neighboring states see the, all this revenue they're getting and be like, well, we we better, uh, you know, try to get some of this. But now that I, after that grand jury experience, I was just like, well, I think there's such a drug war mentality in the state uh, that it could go on for 10, 20 years like this, right? Um, they'll just use the excuse that it's not federally, it's not federally um legal i mean that was part of the anti uh in oklahoma uh right uh, was that you know this is uh you know i just can't see it because it's illegal i can't don't want to do something illegal right and of course during the pandemic like the any attempt at all for the federal government to uh control things to have uh, mandates to uh, for people to wear masks or that to say that people had to get uh, vaccinated that was all fiercely opposed so um yeah i mean i think that the again 
the common theme is war, right? the drug war mentality, mm-hmm. and then the war in Iraq. War, war, war. Yeah. Uh, raging on and seemingly just no awareness of this of this uh, mindset, like no ability to think of like, you know, for crying out loud, how could this many other places have legalized it? Places that uh, even not that long ago, five years, you would have never thought like Missouri, uh, even I mean, Illinois for uh, crying out loud, Virginia, those are uh, certainly uh, surprises you just see how deep the conservatism goes in this country like there's still much of it that just doesn't ever seem like it's going to uh, come around and certainly at the federal level I mean here's an example of the I mean you could call it naivete but I think in a lot of ways it's the kind of phony facade that uh, that people in the in the media have about oh what well, you mean there's maybe something wrong with America well I mean, I can uh, question your actions, but I can't question your motives. And I know we're all working together toward the common good and all these kind of Obamacon talking points. Um, but these people are, uh, I mean, these people just are always making excuses uh, for the uh, the status quo. I mean, you can't bring any kind of uh, criticism toward uh, basically uh, anything or like your idea is unacceptable. All right, and let's quickly, I'll mention um, uh, France. Uh, you know, they, they I mentioned this last week. They rammed through their uh, uh, bill. Um, Macron just survived a no-confidence vote. Um, so um, this raising the uh, retirement age two years from 62 to 64 uh, um, is being rammed through, but uh, the people... Um, uh, don't see this happening in the U.S. as a similar thing happens. Well, uh, <clears throat> uh, it's already happened long ago. They've been increasing that age for uh, quite a while uh, when you get full Social Security, at least. Um, you know, I'm sure France has a better social system. You get more of a, like a pension uh, when you get to re- this retirement age. Um, and um, <clears throat> whereas in the U.S. now, it's to get your full Social Security, full retirement is near 67 years old. When you get that, it's a sliding scale. You get less if you want to get it earlier. Um, but there's millions of people out in the street, you know, getting seeing lots of videos of, you know, tear gas and uh, police charging and uh, all that good shit. And, you know, good old France, I mean... They have a culture of getting out in the street and causing some uh, uh, disruption. Uh, we'll see if it sustains, and they uh, they often do get their way eventually, but um, I guess it'll be a test for the— Austerity, like with the <laughs> while the banks are failing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. The, the, banks, the banks are being bailed out. The you people know. to, like, you have to give up more and more things. I mean, it does seem like there is a um, playbook uh, in, in play— yeah, the international playbook. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's um, uh, let's on a lighter note um, finish up with March Madness. Um, uh, Kentucky did better than you uh, initially. You predicted going out in the first round, uh, although they didn't. They didn't look too good the first round, and their opponent was even worse. So uh, they did win that first right. game. <laughs> so, uh, someone had to only only uh, one team could lose that game so. <laughs> right <laughs> and uh yeah you can't count two l's per, in a game um so yeah uh so but then uh when was that uh friday night um uh correct was that when they lost or uh i uh, know they lost uh yesterday so, uh sunday yeah okay um still in the time warp uh, yeah, so we we both watched that game um, and, against uh, Kansas State. Against Kansas State, and uh, well, I, I thought it was a good game as far as just watching basketball. How exciting it was to see the type of play that Kansas State had. Um, of course, if you're a fan of UK, I'm sure it's a miserable experience. Uh, um, <clears throat> uh, and uh, of course, you've been quite critical of them and have, have not been impressed. And your um, uh, your insights are, have come true. 
<laughs> you know, they just didn't have the skill level. And, and what I saw with Kansas State was just a high level of, of teamwork. Uh, they really had their, uh, you know, um, attentive to each other, uh, were worked as a team, right, and, uh, you know, anchored by the short little, um, what was his name, the point guards? Uh, the, I, short, I know uh, who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah he, had a, he had a great game. Yeah. And uh, but I don't uh, I no disrespect to him. I, I don't I don't remember his, his name. But the, yeah. uh, you made an excellent point about how the uh, the shorter guy is mm. getting the better of it against all these tall players. Mm. And the Calipari, his rigid approach is always he wants length and tall players. But I responded to your point about how in basketball, agility and mobility and skill uh, uh, Trump uh size and power and that was definitely true like that guy uh, most of basketball is played in the half court set right and so the player regardless of how tall they are who can be 25 feet from the basket right and can can consistently hit a three-pointer from out there is definitely the better player than the player of any height right who basically can't shoot and that's always been Kentucky's problem for years, and it's always getting worse. And it's really aggravating the way that uh, it's oh, it's overlooked and not talked about. And when Kentucky lost, uh, Charles Barkley, one of the commentators on uh, CBS, was, uh, of course, defending Kentucky and Calipari because uh, Barkley thinks that Calipari is, is a great coach. And so... And you see this uh, with, with Americans, right? Like they can't be open-minded. They can't reflect and think, well, just because I had a thought or an assumption about something, that doesn't necessarily mean it was true. Like maybe he <laughs> really can't coach. Or maybe, and this, my take on Calipari is that he could for a while, but he can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he's definitely deteriorated and his system has broken down. And it's like he's reached the limits mm-hmm. of what he can do. And in mm-hmm. that case, you could look at it from a Greek myth, like the, the human, the hero who did assemble like an incredible team, mm-hmm. won a championship, assembled another incredible team and then blew it in 2015. And it's basically been falling apart uh, since yeah. then. It's not been and, able to uh, adapt. and, and um, So even yeah. though Kentucky didn't yet yeah, go ahead. Has not been able to adapt and and grow and which is often a result of being overly successful and overpaid and over worshipped. Uh, yes. Oh, excellent point there. Right. Yeah. And that would also go along with the Greek myth, right? Yeah. Quick, quickly, so the just, the name of that that guard is Marquise Noel. Five. Noel. Foot, okay. Knife. Five foot eight, right, hundred sixty yeah. pounds from Harlem, New York. Harlem. Okay. Well, scrappy little New York there. player there. Yeah. So you, the, the toughness uh, is uh, uh, ev- evident there, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He's also but, a senior, so he's he's got some uh, experience under his belt. And... Right, but it's all falling apart for Calipari because for a, a while it was like uh, he showed that he could win with with freshmen. Mm-hmm. I mean, his early teams were freshman dominated, and it's all about the talent, and that's what's happened to Kentucky. There's been a major drop off in the talent. Like the, mm-hmm. the Kentucky players on this team, there's no way that they're uh, uh, anywhere near as good as the players that uh, Calipari had when when he first uh, got to uh, Kentucky. But the the toughness, notwithstanding, um, the the skill level, right and being able to shoot and if you're a guard right like it's it's really a good thing for you to be able <laughs> for you to be able to shoot and it's been eon since kentucky has had that and certainly had it in the ncaa tournament so here's a, st- a statistic that has to be brought up going up into uh, going into the uh, tournament um uh, this year and of course uh, I've, I've got a, I know that Kentucky didn't shoot the ball well other than Antonio Reeves in the Providence game, but Reeves was horrible, like a nightmare, uh, like I think one of 13 on, on threes. And so that shows you right there that you, this is John Calipari, the ace recruiter, and this is the guy that you got to be taking all of these threes. And then in terms of how you compose a team, uh, you can never have too many shooters on the floor. So where are the other shooters? Like, so Reeves is having a bad game. Instead of he's taking 13 of them, 
why don't you have any number of other shooters taking them? And surely to goodness, if you're running a good offense and you've been able to coach these players and build their confidence and uh, be able to get them playing well, that they can hit them. And um, so, uh, like, Barkley didn't bring up the three-point shooting at all. None of the media do. Going into this tournament, it was it was a 34 uh, 108 on three-pointers for the uh, tw- uh, for the. Uh, 2018, the the 2019, and then last year, first round loss to St. Peter's, uh, 2022. So that was already 26.7%. So I can't remember what they shot against Providence, but against Kansas State, they were four of 20. So this is another elimination game, right? The game that ended Kentucky's season, where Kentucky's three-point shooting was horrible. And when it happens over and over and over and over again, it is not just simply, well, it was one game, this one player had a bad game, or as Calipari said, the tournament will do that to you. Like, well, it was the tournament, the pressure and all that. But the point is, like, you're a good coach and you're a good recruiter, so you get the players that play well in these games, right? These are the games when, if you are really, really good, these are the games where you really kick ass, right? Because you're all hyped up and everybody else is too, and you show that you're better than everybody else. But there's a reason that Reeves played at Illinois State, right? And so he's never played uh, on uh, this level against this level of competition, games that are this intense with anything like this kind of uh, audience watching watching him. National audience, Kentucky basketball, NCAA tournament second round, right? And he just was not up to it. And the, the idea that, one, he's the guy that you recruited and you had to get him as a transfer to do this, and then also – that um, the way that you build a team that will, I mean, so what if whoever it is, is this one player isn't shooting it that well, where are the other people that can hit threes? And because Kentucky didn't do that, that was the difference of the game down the stretch from when Kentucky was ahead uh, 60 to 56, that can be around four minutes to go. That was when uh, Noel, that's his name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hit his uh, first three pointer to cut it to one. Then he hit a, a, a then he, he missed one, but then he made a second one. The ones he made were like from twenty five feet. <laughs> then this other guy, number twenty five, he made one from the uh, right wing that mm. uh, gave Kansas State the lead. And then uh, uh, Keaton Johnson, the transfer from Florida, uh, who actually had a medical issue, and, uh, had uh, I don't know, he like passed out during a game against Florida State when he was playing for Florida. But anyway, so he's back playing basketball and apparently healthy. He's playing for Kansas State, and he had a three-pointer all like in the last uh, four minutes. But Kentucky never had any three-point burst, and so that's two from Noel, the point guard. And then you've got one each from two other players. So you've got three different players hitting four threes down the stretch. That's what I'm pointing out is missing from Kentucky. Like you don't have that three-point offense and since those threes are worth more points you got to hit those shots because that's the way to build your point total and it's points that win uh, games and so um, the the poor three-point shooting and the fact uh, on uh, from from Kentucky over and over again in the NCAA tournament and then the way that the media have to avoid it because they've already vaulted John Calipari to the hierarchy and um, and as you as you put it they've worshipped him and they've idolized him and so basically my prediction was right like i think that it's pretty uh meaningless that oh yes great you you beat providence wasn't a good team they were slumping they had lost uh four out of six since february the first going into the tournament lost in the quarterfinals of the big east tournament so yes uh Kentucky played pretty well in the first half. Second half, they were bad. They, I thought Kentucky was just bad the whole game. Jacob, Jacob Toppin kind of epitomizes uh, up and down season for Kentucky against Providence, 16 points, uh, played uh, excellent defense against Bryce Hopkins, the transfer from Kentucky that that uh, went to Providence. The, they held uh, Hopkins, I think, to under 10 points. But then against uh, Kansas State, Toppin had two points. <laughs> And was just useless, right? And then there was no uh, other element to bring in, like Damian Collins didn't impact the game. Um, Chris Livingston was okay. He made one three-pointer, but then shot another one that was in and out. And that's what happens when you just ignore, like, can these people really shoot? Or is it just more athleticism and length? And uh, you figure that they'll go down. And no, coach, they won't. Like, if it's, (laughs) like, 
You've got well, four players out there. Unless that's emphasized for them to practice and, and improve their well, skills. But you have to re- you have to think about the skill level of the player that you're recruiting, is right. what I'm saying, right? There are players who can shoot. That's right. like a natural talent. So that, it's that, important that, to get that right? at the get-go. Otherwise, it's going to be hard for you to, to get a good it. result. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's yeah. what Alabama's done. Their coach is all about all they do is shoot three-pointers or they get shots at the rim. And if the if they when they drive the ball, if they can't get a shot at the rim, they kick it out. They, they they're good at making these like long uh, passes when they're on the move and spreading the floor, and they do that over and over, and they just keep shooting them right. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, at any given time there are you know, three or or four people who can really shoot out there, and so. If you play that way, um, it adds you can up. really rack up the points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, and, the Kentucky uh, approach is terrible for Kentucky, and of course, I know the hype is already underway. The next great recruiting class coming in, and it is a, a highly touted class, and it'll be good for all of these. We'll just call them mediocre players mm-hmm. and let it go. They can move on, and then uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But mm-hmm. it's just so difficult to imagine the the uh, ongoing deficiency on being able to hit threes and mm-hmm. just the the doldrums that the program is mired in the lack of excitement it's hard to imagine even though Kentucky will have more talent next year that they'll really uh, be all that much uh, better and and we've seen this year the lower seeds beating the the uh, uh, the top seeds uh, before we go we've got to talk about number one Purdue losing to number 16 <laughs> Fairleigh Dickinson oh my god man like you talk about like you have if you're bad on offense that's how you're going to lose the game and that's exactly what Purdue was like the big man Edie was all kind of slow and uh, ofy mm. is, is that a word <laughs> ofy well that sounds good <laughs> anyway you kind of get what I mean right yeah, like he yeah. didn't assert himself and uh, he was sort of off balance and tentative and he turned the ball over and then the other players didn't want to shoot because they everybody was nervous and so this is an example of a team that uh, wasn't emotionally prepared for the big game which is like the biggest thing that you've got to be able to do as a coach like they were feeling all the nerves they weren't Mm-hmm. They couldn't look at it like it means just as much to us to win the game as it does to this other team. It was mm-hmm. that they just looked at it as, well, we can't lose. Right, you definitely right. can't play that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, Purdue players are always just, uh, like they're they're skilled, but they're also kind of stiff mm-hmm. and slow and robotic. And there's definitely something wrong with uh, the whole way that they put teams together. I mean, I think the day of the build your team around the dominant big man is is out because the there are just too many players with pretty good pretty good size who are also really skilled, mm-hmm. and so uh, size is just less of, of an advantage. And again, I think your point was spot on with the Kentucky game, Kentucky Kansas State. That uh, Noel, uh, what's his first name? Marquise. Marquise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marquise Noel. That's a name we've got to remember and be looking forward mm-hmm. to. So it's going to be Kansas State against Michigan State in, in New mm-hmm. York. That, who yeah, would have thought it, about that it, matchup? Well, quickly um, talk about yeah. that. That was only one of your four that have gone down for your uh, final four picks. Uh, what Marquette. happened there? Yeah. What happened there? Right. They're, they're out. So, but I still have got three out of four in play, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, what, what, happened, what happened there quickly uh, with Marquette and Michigan State? Well, uh, I think Marquette was exposed. Uh, uh, Michigan State's guards uh, outplayed uh, uh, Marquette's guards. Uh, Kolick, the Marquette guard, uh, he, I think, was uh, flustered. And uh, I think Michigan State's guards were, were, were better and Kolek got into foul trouble in the first half. Marquette off to a slow start, and Marquette didn't play that great on, on offense. Look, every time a high seed loses, I'll guarantee you um, that it's because the higher seed had a poor game on offense and in particular wasn't hitting their three-pointers. And then conversely, if you look at why does a lower seed win, they played good offense, they played with flow and freedom and energy and confidence, and they attacked. They didn't think. Nobody was like, you do this and you go here. It was, they were just playing basketball and, mm-hmm. and being aggressive. And they had sufficient skill level that when they needed to, they could hit some three-pointers. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, special. It's not too complicated. Hit, That's what hit, it boils hit. down to. Once again, the horrible three-point shooting for Kentucky, and they are they're, they're done. So I was basically uh, right. I, I think I said Kentucky was going to mm-hmm. uh, lose. Uh, so it was second round instead of first round. But I said exactly how. Right? I said they would score under seventy points, and that the three-point shooting would be really bad, and their offense would be bad. Look, here's basically I, I can wrap up the Kentucky game like, like this. Uh, can, uh, Two things about an inconsistent uh, team uh, is that the they are uh, they're they're up and down, right? You can see this from game to game. Like played a great game, and then boom, they they lose, flop, and then uh, in a game they can play well, and then they fall apart. So in the first half and in the second half, Kentucky built a lead, and then right, and then just immediately lost it. And this is the limitations of Kentucky's offense. In the in the early part of the game, Sheepway was was dominating offensive rebounds. They were scoring inside. So it's like, okay, we know we can do that. Can we hit some outside shots? And, of course, it was like they couldn't. So Kentucky had an eight-point lead. But then Kansas State started to, to score. They uh, A guy named Tomlin, number 35, started to get some offensive rebounds himself for Kansas State. And then uh, – that, that started to neutralize Kentucky's inside advantage. And then we were commenting at halftime about how Kansas State made that run and it looked like they were going to take control of the game. Now, it was interesting at the start of the second half, Kentucky actually uh, was playing well, um, and, and Kentucky took the lead and built the lead. But in the second half, Kentucky was scoring off their defense. And so, the again, the problem is you're not seeing Kentucky being able to execute in the half court set and get good uh, perimeter scoring, right? They're not getting any three-point offense. In the first half, it's inside. In the second half, they had this flurry of they got some turnovers mm-hmm. and they scored in transition, rah-rah. But then you have to figure you're playing a good team. They're not just going to turn the ball over mm-hmm. the whole game. And, when, and once Kansas State settled in and started to play like just good sound basketball, immediately the game tightened up again. And that's another problem with Kentucky. All you have to do to, to beat Kentucky is just play a good solid game, which is pretty much what Kansas State did up until the uh, up until the end uh, when uh, Marquise Noel uh, really came through big time hitting those long uh, three pointers, and then that the other two. Uh, uh, Johnson, and then that number 25 uh, made them as well. And you can't ever see Kentucky respond uh, when the other team plays well on offense. Kentucky can't can't counter. So it's the same problem, and, and it's it's the same result. I mean, I think if you ask me, a totally insignificant step forward to say, and that first round victory. I mean, when you're Kentucky. And you're saying you're trying to build on you. You won a first round game like that's the kind of thing that you would do at, say, Murray State. We got in the tournament. We won the first round. Right. That that is kind of a big deal. Murray State doesn't even get to the NCAA tournament uh, that often. And they they didn't make it uh, uh, this year. But uh, uh, so um, a a poor season for Kentucky. I think I was uh, spot on with my prediction. I mean, a poor uh, result, mm-hmm. uh, disappointing season for sure. More talent coming in next year, but given the state of the program, I think again, I think doldrums, mm-hmm. uh, lack of lack of excitement, and clearly the coaching is um, a wreck and and not going to change. Uh, hard to really expect any uh, uh, difference in uh, of, of any significance. Maybe they make the Sweet Sixteen, like maybe they'll have enough talent that they would yeah. have pulled out the game against Kansas State but then wow. they'll they'll That's... flop in the in the sweet 16 so <laughs> something like that yeah all Time right to think about moving on from uh from John Calipari yeah 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 i think they could go pay uh 1 million dollars and do just as good you know honestly uh, while while we're at it uh, uh so if you're going to spend all this money you may as well spend even more. Like it's more of a waste of money <laughs> not to spend more at this point and just go ahead and buy him out, even though you would owe him maybe like a billion dollars. <laughs> really? Is that or, what it's or set whatever up? it is? And yeah. just to get him out of there and, and, and to get, I, and I still think they should get Patino. And I, I've got to believe, even though he might never admit it publicly that, that uh, it, it is something maybe fun to, 
uh, romanticize mm -hmm. that that he could come back to Lexington and and win, win a championship. I mean, it, it would be awesome. Nothing would electrify Kentucky basketball like Rick Pitino coming back. Get Calipari. Get him out of Lexington and let him take his rah-rah uh, squad. I mean, every year we hear the same thing. They're all, it's always that they're really great, but next year they're going to be really, really, really great. Uh, so who cares, right? And then whoever actually wants to play for Kentucky, like Reed Shepard would, and I think Travis Perry from Lyon County, um, if he decides to come to Kentucky, it'll be because he wants to play here and not just for a, a coach and let these other um, – prima donnas that are just going to fluff up their game for the NBA for a year. Uh, let them go somewhere else. Uh, and then let's see Patino back in Lexington. Go team. All right, man. For Team Oblivion, it's Dr. Dave Overby and uh, David Vernon Miller. And this has been the Oblivion Podcast.